So we are in the book of Acts, the beginning part of Acts. And if you were here last week, you learned that Acts is really part two. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts. Those two books together uh, means Luke wrote more than anyone else in the New Testament. And part two is a story of the church. And what has happened is that Jesus has been resurrected, and He has ascended into heaven. His Spirit has come at Pentecost. The, the first sermon is preached, and Jesus is declared both Lord and Messiah, meaning the one, the King, who was going to restore all things. And when the people heard it, they were cut to the heart. They repented. They were baptized. They were identifying themselves now with their new King, and they begin living in a new, reimagined way. This new thing that had started called the church. This is where we pick up our story. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. And then it says, every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today, I want you to reimagine exactly where you're sitting, around these tables, with these people, because this morning, you are going to become the sermon. I'm going to share some reflections, but then we're going to kick it back to you to discuss some things around the table, and, and because we're together praising God, because we have these glad and sincere hearts, because we're sharing food, and we're going to literally pass the bread and the cup around the tables, and we're going to enjoy fellowship, you are going to be living the reimagined church that started in Acts. And what we're praying is that this is only a beginning, that maybe we reimagine and rediscover tables and meals and food and what happens when you bring all those together in a way that we never have before, and it begins a new trajectory, even for us as the life of the church. You know, this early community, they ate, ate in their homes. Glad and sincere hearts, it says. And did you know Luke, in his Gospel of Luke, pays more attention to Jesus' table etiquette? It talks about more meals, people who are sitting at meals, the families that were connected at meals, you know, and even the, the meal that Jesus gives us more than any book in the New Testament. When they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that teaching would have been what Jesus had taught them. And as we learned, uh, what Jesus taught, it wasn't just things to know, but he was the rabbi. You've heard him maybe call that, you know, Jesus is the rabbi, the teacher. But a disciple is one who commits their life to the rabbi to not just say what they say, but to actually live life the way they lived. And so the teaching was both what Jesus verbally taught, but it would have been his life. And Jesus was always at tables with people, which is why it just makes sense that the early church just started living life around tables and inviting other these open tables for people to join them, and God did something amazing. Listen to this. One, one person says, why, from being, a, being the faith of a small, persecuted minority in competition with other religions that appeared to have better prospects of success, did Christianity eventually enroll the large majority of the population of the Roman Empire? This little, what started out as a table, spread through the whole Roman Empire in just a couple hundred years. 
the church was inclusive. Their worship together and the community and the meals that they shared together, its brotherhood included both sexes, rich and poor, intelligentsia, men of women of no intellectual attainments at all. I thought, wow, I could be in that commute, person with no intellectual attainments of all. Like, I don't know, there's probably other words that we could use a little more crude than that. That's a very nice way of saying those that aren't so smart. Um, but you know, we translated, I would say, you know what the early church was doing? They were opening up their homes. Wherever they lived, worked, or played, they were gathering around tables, praising God, and people were welcomed, known, and loved at those tables. Today, I want us to reimagine what that could be for us. What would happen if we started seeing people differently, and when we sit down for a meal, other, we see other things happening to where we just feed our body and feed our souls in a different way. If you just think about food for a minute, uh, it is just so much, it's just such a part of our humanity. Babies, think about it, babies need fed by their mothers or by their family. But it's not just so they, that they grow big, but a baby makes eye contact with who's feeding it and the connection with the food and who's get, giving it. Uh, so much happens in the first year of a baby's life, socially, emotionally, psychologically, relationally. They're learning and bonding and making these connections, even though we can't see it, all through the process of sharing food. That's how God begins our life. Think about family gatherings. Think about funerals, weddings, uh, big moments in life. Is there ever not food around? We feast. We see it all throughout the Bible. God ordains these feasts so that they could be together in the community and not forget and to remember. It's all through the Scriptures. And we see in this early church how the table became one of the centerpieces. The common meal and the Lord's Supper became core to who they were and it redefined their life. Someone at the pancake breakfast said, it's amazing what you can learn about somebody when you have a moment to stop and share a meal with them. I wonder if we're losing the art of just doing meals well, well with one another. Another commentator said, their devotion, the early church's devotion, it was inclusive, caring, and a loving fellowship. It's one of the most important signs of life in the early church. And then they say, and it's absolutely necessary for the contemporary church to do the same. And so it's time for you to experience the table with one another. I hope you gobble up everything so I'm not trolling around at all the leftovers like I typically do when we do this. Um, but you're going to have a question. The first question uh, is going to be up on the screen. What's been some of your favorite meals? And what made them so special? And I would say encourage maybe the kids, maybe they want to start off. And I'll say this gently, if you're one of the person that likes to talk early and often, and you find that no one else is really talking, because maybe you're talking all the time, maybe, maybe you go towards the end. You got me? All right, so have some time. Take about five minutes or so at your table. What's been some of your favorite meals, and what made them so special? You all had some favorite meals, I can tell. There was laughter. At my table, we had someone said, I was an, I'm an old Italian, and there were like amens popping up at my table. Oh, and some claps. You like being Italian. All right. <laughs> um, have you ever heard of the, the Hebrew day planner? Or are you familiar at all with the Hebrew calendar? 
back when Jesus was alive and before that, how they understood time? Well, good. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, the, the, the day in the, in the Hebrew life did not start at… It wasn't like a midnight, live your day, and then back to midnight. It actually started at 6 p.m. the day before. The new day started at 6 p.m. And so, think about the rhythm of life for a minute. Uh, the new day starts at 6 p.m. What happens usually around 6 p.m.-ish? Dinner. For centuries and centuries, the beginning of the day, the first part of the day, and if you know anything about God, He's pretty passionate about first things. That's why we give our first fruits and, and so forth. The first part of the day begins with a meal. And it wasn't a drive through McDonald's kind of meal, however you would say that in Hebrew. Uh, the meal was it, was, it was a moment. And so they would, there was a lot of preparation. The families would gather and friends would gather and they would share a meal and they would talk about their days. And then after the meal, there was a transition to just relational time, time to be together. Candles being lit and burning and laughter and stories from the day. And then the day would end, you would, you would retire at the end of the day, and then you would rest. And then work was kind of designated between 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And so you'd get up and you would work and you would labor. But what were you looking forward to the entire day? It's that new beginning, to the dinner when you would gather around. That is not our culture. We have learned something very different. But when I think about the way the, the, the Hebrew calendar worked, man, it starts to reorient my mind. I, I can see just a different, something different in me of how I live out my day, what I look forward to, right? What I count as significant. It just, it like, it opens up a different world as I just kind of take that in. There's an ancient belief and a, a time-tested tradition and if you were here last week, we said tradition isn't preserving ashes. Tradition is passing on the fire to the next. There's a time tested passing on to the fire that the table is the centerpiece of community. The early church figured this out. It shared meals with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, inviting others to join them. You see, it was more than a meal. See, it was something that sustained both body and soul. Something is translated. Something happens when we consume, we take in not just food, but one another's time and relationships and words and needs and joys. <clears throat> so perhaps we've forgotten how to, to um, do the art of relationships around meals, but I, I think we may have even lost a little bit of the art of what it means just to have a meal together. Did you know how we eat has changed more in the last 40 years than it did in the preceding 4,000 years? This kind of warp speed, warp drive, fast food, overscheduled, hurried lives, uh, this fragmentation that we just always seem to live with, it's changed what has been foundational for people since the beginning. And I think we suffer a little bit, or at least we're missing or robbing ourselves of something so much fuller of not just our meals, but with one another. I love to cook with my kids. 
Uh, it's one of our creative outlets. It's one of our bonding outlets. And one of my favorite things is uh, when uh, making salsa with Sadie. And see, when we make salsa, it's an event, and it's usually in the summer. Because see, we plan for it. We, we said we're going to get up at a certain time when we go to the farmer's market. We'd go to the one in Downers Grove usually, and we're buying onions and tomatoes and peppers and everything that we can imagine putting in this salsa. You know, we get some of those hot little donuts that they're cranking out as well at the, at the market. And then we come home and we start cutting. And we cut everything up, just in the right size pieces. I'm a little particular about my salsa. But I've taught my kids how to make it right. But, you know, we cut it all up, right? And we're putting it in and we're stirring it. And then we're seasoning it together. And Sadie's tasting some and I'm tasting some until we get it just the way we like it. And then we bust open the bag of chips and we just go to town. And then when we put it in the fridge, it just gets even better as it sits together and, and kind of just take those flavors all meld together. And, and we just love and we just keep, we'll eat the whole bowl in a, a huge bowl in just a couple days. See, the salsa, the, the, the preparation, the going to get it, the making it together, the sharing it with each other, the passing on of skills, so much happens around something as simple as salsa. And you know, and I think... Whether you're a, a person that loves to prepare, someone at our table said, you know, she, they said, what I make is barely edible, but it's edible. Uh, I was like, well, that's, I suppose, good. Um, but, you know, even if you're not a big preparer, um, at its simplest form, the conversation and what's shared around tables is what makes it so good. It's what makes it so rich. It's what makes it so nourishing beyond even the food. And so... Throughout the morning, I want you to reimagine just the significance of all of these little things that go together around what we just call food or a meal. And so I'm going to give you some table time because perhaps you can see if we were to really slow down something as significant as salsa, if Sadie and I did that all throughout the summer and we did that all throughout the years, you can see the different kind of bond. You can see how even opportunities to love one another unfold as we know each other, as we share that space with each other. And so around your tables, you're going to have two different questions. I'm going to give you about three minutes for the first one and four minutes for the second one. You have some cards. There's a piece of cardstock, a white piece of cardstock. Perhaps you want to write it down for the first one. So the first one that I want you to, to talk about is describe everything that you can think of that goes into a meal, from the preparing to the cleaning up. And you can be creative on this, because once it starts going, you might be able to fill up that whole page. But just brainstorm. Someone can write it down if they want to, but just as many things that you can think of of what goes in to a meal. And then I'll tell you the second part of this question in just a moment. Okay, go ahead. All right, you're doing well. Let those ideas keep popping. But part two now to your table discussion is this question. How is love communicated through those things you just brainstormed? How is love communicated, exchanged in those things you just said, or you might even think of some new things? All right, go for it. Go. All right, we're not done. We've got more table discussion coming. I saw Epicurious open on someone's phone app. Has anyone pulled re recipes off of Epicurious? I'm not advocating it, but they've got some awesome recipes. Um, let me ask you a question. If you could just take a pill. Do you remember the Jetsons? Like they had this pill, and they like, boom, turns into like the whole Thanksgiving dinner. If you could just take a pill, boom, and that would be your whole meal, and you never had to stop, 
working or whatever you were doing, and you could just eliminate all the meals of your day because you could just pop a pill and be fully nourished. How many of you would do it? Be honest. Oh, man, you're getting booed a little bit. That was not good. I thought about it. I thought initially, like, yeah, that, like when I read it, I'm like, yeah, I'd totally do that. And then I'm like, well, wait, we're preaching about the significance of tables. <clears throat> um, you know, I think what's interesting is I think we've put our schedules at the center of our lives, and then we try to fit things in like meals and other good stuff around it, but the schedule really seems to drive us. When there was a day when actually the tables, things like prayer and meals, defined a rhythm of a community, and then the schedules were put in around those things. That is really countercultural for how we live today. But I wonder if whether it's once a week or a few times a week, could we intentionally prioritize space to sit with someone and share a meal, sharing about what's going on in our lives, praising God, thanking God for what He's done? Um, could we do that? What do you think? Yeah. Does anyone say no? Just give me the pills? Yeah. You know, what's interesting, when I, when I step back and think about this and was doing some reading, there, there was one thing that just like, how do I miss this? How many of you have ever been hungry? Yeah. How many of you are hungry like every day? You know what that says? It says God has created you in such a way that you are not self-sufficient, that you need something outside of you to nourish you, to help you flourish and thrive, to be healthy. And every single day, multiple times a day, you have this reminder that you are not enough in and of yourself, that you need something else and you need other people, even as something as common as food, as nourishment for the body. God has given us that as a reminder, like we are not enough in ourselves. And it also reveals that we are dependent on others. Unless you are a farmer growing livestock and growing your own fruits and vegetables, and you are butchering and you are preparing all of those every day for all your meals, more than likely, you are relying on someone else to grow it, to plant it, to pick it, to process it, to package it, to get it to the store, someone to stock it on the shelf at the store, someone to ring you out, right, to get in the car that's provided transportation for you to go home, the knives and the forks that have been made by someone else. You think about the dependence you have on so many other people just to have something as simple as a, a hamburger or something like that. You ever thought about that? We're dependent on, we, we see how God has made us dependent on Him to provide, how He's made us dependent on one another for all of the things we need to, to just consume food, but it also reminds us that we need His creation because I can't create a carrot. I'd probably create something better than a carrot anyway if I could food-wise. Uh, uh, but just think about it. Like It's God's creation even that we consume. There's this mutuality that, that something has to lay down its life so that it can be consumed by something else so that life can flourish. Right? It's like this circle of life thing that... And so... What just even this morning popped for me differently, when God created this world, there was harmony with God, with one another, and with creation. And when sin came in the world, that harmony was created. Things didn't work like relationship with God was, was broken through sin. The, uh, the relationship between each other was broken. So the, the man and woman, they hid from each other. They realized they were naked and they hid. They were embarrassed and they made coverings. They, they pulled away from themselves. 
And even their relationship with creation was going to be frustrated. The ground was going to produce thorns and the work was going to be hard. And then you fast forward that God is on a plan to redeem our relationship with Him, to redeem the relationships we have with each other, and even redeem our relationship with creation. That it's all a new heaven and a new earth, and we're going to have these new bodies. And how does the story end? With the wedding supper of the Lamb, this feast, God's people all together. See, when we just even share little muffins at our table, we're acknowledging God's provision. We're acknowledging that others, we need others for nourishment. And that it's through the creation that God has made that we're even able to have the stuff that we can consume. Like it was just like, it was like one of these moments. I've had so much fun eating this week. We had tacos last night. My wife has this mild taco addiction, right? I don't know if it's a problem yet. Um, so we ordered tacos again. And, uh, but I was just sitting there thinking, you know, well, I had the chicken tacos, right? But there's onions and cilantro and all this, you know, the tortillas around it. I'm just thinking like all the stuff that went in for me to just have these, you know, two tacos with a little lime squeezed on top of them. Now I'm really realizing that I'm not enough of myself and I have dependence like I'm hungry. I need to eat. Um, and so... I want you to just let your imagination go because what we just take is so common is really something so profound. And again, that's just to nourish our bodies, but when you put it all together, you're almost saying God's giving us a picture of every meal, of just even His plan of what He's doing in the world, whether it's love and care for us, how we extend that love to others, and how we have this relationship with this world that He loves and wants to redeem the whole thing. I bet you never thought about that when you went through to McDonald's drive-thru. Did you? So there's going to be one other, one other table time um, uh, here in just a minute. But just a couple quotes, right? Because again, the early church had figured this out. Uh, Christine Pohl says, How we live together may be the most powerful sermon we preach. Enjoying God, praising God, and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number those that were being saved. Uh, uh, another person says, We draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all of their hearts to know the source of it. That just maybe something would pierce their hearts, their hearts would be burning, that they would want to experience whatever is happening at our tables, the relationships and the community, the food and the fellowship, and the gathering, praising God and seeing Him as the source of it all. Just perhaps that could be our most powerful witness to a world that's desperately looking for something different than schedules being at the center of their lives. Randy, I would like you to come up. We've mentioned it about these community dinners, but would you just share a little more with us and then kick us into the, the last table I will. discussion? Um, I grew up in Europe, and um, I grew up with a culture of gathering around the table. It was very important to us, and we would sit there for hours. At 27 years old, I moved here to the States, and I was so excited to experience my first Thanksgiving because I had heard so much about it. So I showed up at the house I was invited to, and the table looked beautiful. And the host, she was in the kitchen with her family, and they were still cooking and still getting everything ready, and I know it had taken them a lot of time. And we all sat down to eat. And I think within 15 minutes, we were done, and people left the table. And I remember sitting there going like, wait, what just happened? And I felt like we hadn't honored each other. 
And at that point, I was not a believer, but I felt like we didn't even honor the host. She had spent so much time cooking this meal. And it wasn't because I was hungry and felt like, hey, let's stay seated. It was also because I was missing that community part and hearing each other's stories. And if you fast forward, um, I started dipping my toes into Christianity, and my husband Mark and I, we visited Christ Church of Oakbrook, and this was very much in the beginning of me seeking God and figuring out what that was all about. And we came to the church, and I realized that I'm not even sure if it was God I was truly seeking. I wanted community. That was the main part. I wanted people around me, just like what I grew up with, and I hadn't found that yet, but that's what I wanted. And it made me think about how many people out there that we don't know are our neighbors. They may not even know that they're seeking God, but they're seeking community. They want relationships. They want to sit around the table and hear each other's stories. And I was reading a book that Eric gave us, which is called um, From Tablet to Table. And in there, the author talks about, like, when we're gathered around the table, and we may call us our, ourselves the host if it's in our home, but the true host is God, the Holy Spirit. So we're all guests. We're always all guests. And that really, to me, just like Eric said, means that when we gather around for a meal, we're honoring each other. We're honoring God. He's present. And when we invite people that may not be believers into our homes, even for community, we're still gathering them to believe and be, or not to believe, but to be with us and be with God. So what we thought we would do is, like, we want to not just take our tables here at church, but we want to take them into the community. So if you saw when you walked in through the breezeway, we actually have 15 hosts or 15 families that open their homes to have a, a uh, dinner. And we would love for you to attend. And you can sign up. They're all listed by, um, by weekday and by date and by time. You can see if they welcome children. And you can see the host's last name. Um, so you can, it should be pretty easy for us, if you have your calendars on your phone, to just go out and sign up. We will also have it available tomorrow, the spaghetti dinner. You can also find it online. Um, we ask you to sign each, each person up, so it's not, if you come as a couple, don't, don't sign up, just because we know every host how many people they can gather. And if you are bringing kids on those sheets, just tell us how many kids at the, on the side, I think there's a column for it. But this is what we want to do. This is about building community in the community, not just here for us, but for everyone. And I encourage you, to maybe sign up at a place that you don't know those people very well. I encourage us all to maybe go to a place where our usual friends may not be going, if that's possible. And we will just see amazing things, because guess what? God is the host. So if you have any questions, I will be in the back. I will be out there as well. But I hope that you will come and join us for these wonderful, um, wonderful um, dinners that we have planned for you. Thanks. Am I supposed to do that? I think I forgot one thing. I was supposed to actually ask a question. It's on there. This is your last there table you discussion. <laughs> right? How, does, how do relationships and ministry just evolve when we take the time to share meals with people? Right? So kick that around for a couple of minutes, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Go ahead. I feel bad having to interrupt you all the time with these great table discussions, but we're giving you a taste a taste of what it looks like just to gather around the table and just through some simple questions, just how good it can be 
sharing food, sharing conversation. You know, Jesus gathered his followers together and he said, I've eagerly desired to share this meal with you. And the meal that was prepared was the Passover. It was that Jesus takes this meal that they have known so well and he repurposes it. It becomes the center of the life of the church. It becomes the center of our community. It becomes the expression, the very gospel itself that Jesus lived on this earth. That he gave his life for our sins so that we could be forgiven. That we could be in relationship with him. And through his resurrection, we have the promise of renewal, this resurrected life that begins now, that's fully going to be realized when he comes again. That is what we remember. That is what we experience in the presence of God. The Spirit is with us and among us as we talked about it. That we're cut to the heart. Jesus broke bread on a beach with a few of his followers after his resurrection and their eyes were open. All right, it's through the sharing of this meal that God does something in us and through us. We say his grace is just, it's mediated through this time and we're just so grateful and praising God. And so uh, I'm going to have our elders and our servers come forward um, now. And we're, we're going to receive communion at the table. And what they're going to do is they're going to bring the bowl and they're going to bring the cup and they're going to say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And they're going to hand that bowl off to someone at the table and you're going to serve each other because we need each other in the church and in community. You'll just take a piece of bread, pass it along and just hold on to it. And then they're going to give the cup. This is the blood of Jesus given for you. And you're going to hold the cup for somebody and they're going to dip their bread in and take it. And then they're going to hand you the cup and you're going to take it and you're going to let the next person work around to the table. And the band is going to just play some songs and, and uh, just you're going to share in this great moment together. And then we're just going to stand and sing, praising our God. And Lord, may, may, may the people around us and the people that will come to grace our tables, may they see something different because who we are around tables together. It's all from God. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we are just grateful that you have gathered us, that we are united through the presence of Christ, through the so his work on the cross and the resurrection. God, you've poured yourself into us and you call us back to the table, to this table bread and the cup, your body and blood that creates a new community that just reimagines life. And God, we ask that you help us to reimagine our tables as we devote ourselves to fellowship and the meals. God, may we live life with arms open as your arms were open on that cross that God, we would just be inclusive, that we would invite so many people where we live, work, and play just to sit with us, to share a meal, and to, to learn about one another. But God, in this moment now, we just sit at the table with you. We're thankful for those that we will get to receive from and those that will get to serve. God, we just pray that you will grow your church. Grow your church, Lord, as we just share our life together with you. We pray this in Jesus' name.